Hello, this is episode 345 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Riley. So there's been a slight pause because um, I've been fairly maxed out. We've had a number of power cuts, which has meant that my nicely spaced out work wasn't as elegantly spaced out as it should have been. So everything kind of came together. I do kind of schedule things for like intense work periods and intense recovery, but it, it didn't quite match. I still have a pet caterpillar. He's quite funny. He comes out and wiggles every so often and says hello. I think he's kind of the perfect INFJ pet, if I'm honest. I realize like he's so undemanding. I'm still not sure if the wiggles are because I've woken him up though, because I haven't seen him for a few days. It's usually if I use the magic mix and I wake him up that he comes out and he wiggles. I feel like everyone else missed the memo that it's Sag season. I just think that people are taking themselves incredibly seriously. And I don't take myself seriously at the best of times, but I seem to be really clashing off people. And it's funny, like, there was a time in my life where I didn't have that many Sagittarian people close to me because in their particular case where they were in their lives, their sort of bluntness and their directness was really 100% projection back and I, I couldn't handle that and now some of the the best people in my world are Sagittarians and there is like it's it's incredibly straightforward and there's always that aspect of not taking yourself too seriously so I kind of wish everyone would work out that it's Sagittarian season. There's a book that I reread at this time of the year, every year, and I'm, I can't remember if I talked about this in the podcast or if I've told the story. I may have just written it for you, which is in my Patreon. It's a book by Fanny Flagg. It's a little bit naff. It's called The Red Bird Christmas. I've given it to many people for Christmas over the years. And the story behind this book for me is that it starts in the 6th of November. And when the book originally came out, which I'm not going to look up the year, I was at a particularly low point in the Oceanography Centre in Southampton doing my PhD. It was seemed too long to Christmas to when I was coming back to Ireland. I was really missing my parents. I hated my PhD. I felt incredibly isolated. I didn't really have a tribe around me. I didn't really have that many people that close. After this time, I suppose I, I joke it takes three years to become part of my life, except if you read my work and there's a kind of a fast track there of about eight months. There wasn't that many people that close at that point. I left the Oceanography Centre uh, to go for a walk because I didn't see, I, I never saw the point in sitting in front of a computer to do something that you hadn't already completed in your head. I think people spend an extraordinary amount of time staring at computers to do work that they, they aren't ready to do. And so I would often go for a walk. And actually that was commented on the building because I was the only person who left the building. Particularly at that time of the year, I think it's really important to leave the building and go for a walk during the hours of daylight and sunshine and get some vitamin D. And one of the reasons I hated living in Southampton was because there was no cafes. This has always been a fundamental requirement of my existence and living to have nice cafes to go to. And I had come from Galway where there is just so many beautiful cafes to hang out in. And quite a lot of them stay up until four in the morning. Southampton just didn't have that. And so I found myself in a bookshop in, in Waterstones and I didn't realise that Fanny Flagg had a new book out. And I bought it on the day that it set in, the 6th of November. 
And there was a cafe that opened up downstairs for a short time in Waterstones. I don't think it survived. Anyway, I went and bought a coffee, bought the book, sat in a corner and read the book pretty much from cover to cover. And I never went back to work that day. And it was, it was the reset switch that I needed to press. I think something about Fanny Flagg's writing, the way that the characters continue to give so much to the world and to live in the truth of values and niceness, but that that isn't necessarily an easy place to live. That really spoke to me in my 20s. And her books really got me through that period of my life. And the reason that I reread the book at this time of the year every year is to remind myself of how much different my life is. I read that book from a completely different context. I have never read that book again and been so low. It's an extraordinarily good benchmark for me. And so for me, it doesn't take much to press reset. It takes to go for a walk to sit in a cafe, to have a nice cup of coffee, to be in a different environment, to possibly land on a book that you need to read. They're very simple resets. I've never really had massive needs in order to press reset. And what I often say to people, and it's going to be the title of this podcast, is that suffering is optional. I already joked with my Patreons that I, I prescribed the book, The Country Girls, particularly as the audio version, as a kind of, you know, the antidote to when you've got yourself into that zone and you're insisting on suffering. It's a really grim book. I don't, know, I don't think it would have ever made it to any popularity if the church hadn't condemned it in Ireland. But I've, I've been kind of marinating this podcast now for a number of months from a conversation I had with somebody. And they actually, this is one of my tribe, used the, the parable to me. They told me a story from, from the Bible. And I'll include a link in, in the description to it. And it's, um, it's a verse from Daniel chapter 6. I think that's how you say things. It's, the, the Bible's kind of a funny story for me. I, can, I don't know one end of it from the other. And we used to have to sit religious exams in my secondary school. And I realized that I could put up my hand to ask the teachers to find the Bible passages for me because I couldn't find them. But I actually got the second highest mark and almost got a scholarship in religious education even though I can actually find my way around the Bible, which really makes me laugh. And it, it, it kind of upset a lot of really religious people in my class. But like as a, as a text for understanding and maybe for explaining things. So in, in this parable, there's this idea that these people are thrown into the furnace because they won't acknowledge somebody as being the representation of perfect, ultimately, that they won't worship that. And when they're thrown into the furnace, they don't burn. And the person who's thrown them in there is then obviously exceedingly sort of worried and set off about this fact because there is obviously a pureness to them in a way that they don't have. And they have become a, a huge threat to them in a way because they haven't burnt. And when we were talking about this, this story, it was in the context that sometimes in life you go through things that are exceedingly difficult and really challenging. And when you've made it to the other side 
and you didn't burn. There's a sense of being kind of not only invincible, but there's also a sense of actually you deserve not to suffer. You deserve for to enjoy life. You deserve to have the abundance that you need. You deserve to be in this place. And the two ways that I see that people often go on this journey, like the most taxing stretch of it, and not to kind of diminish other things other people go through, but the two really stretching experiences that I see for, for people that, that I admire are to do a PhD or to do a, a monastic religious training. And bizarrely, I'm going to quote somebody who has done both, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I kind of, I, I, was, I was thinking about this one. I was kind of, sometimes when I meditate, what happens is I go into this complete stillness and there's actually nothing there. But then after that stillness, what happens is, is that ideas kind of float to the surface a bit like debris. And things that have been, that I haven't been able to find a clear way to talk about, often ideas kind of pop up out of that. And, and one of the ideas that popped up for me was like, oh, I wonder if Martin Luther King used that verse in any of his sermons. And so I had a book of sermons on the shelf and I got up and I took the book out. And he does, he uses it in, um, again, I'll put this in the description. And I'll actually put a link to the Martin Luther Foundation that has a lot of material available. And it's from the book, um, A Gift of Love. And it's the second chapter in it. It's called Transformed Nonconformist. And what's really interesting about this is he's talking about basically the pressures in our society of conforming. And this idea, a bit like the characters in Fanny Flagg's books, that when you don't conform and you stay in your truth, that it's not a very easy place to be. And he, he uses the line and he, he says that, that it may mean walking through a valley of the shadow of suffering. And later on, just before the end, he, he talks about the fact that, I'll just finish with the end of it, and carry on till that very cross leaves its mark upon us and redeems us to the more excellent way which comes only through suffering. And, and what I see about like his analogy and, and using the analogy of that, that passage of the Bible earlier on in this piece is, again, he's expecting this suffering to take place. He's expecting you to be chucked in the furnace, not burn, and then sort of get the right to come out the other side and think, oh, you know, presto. And I think one of the things for me in all of my work um, is that I don't think the suffering should be compulsory. I don't feel that we should have to go through these great trials in order to, to not suffer and to be able to embrace life and enjoy it. I think there are very simple resets and very simple choices that we can make. And, and I'm sorry, but I do feel that it's a choice. And that's this may be something that when you lack objectivity and you've ended up at the bottom of the pit and things haven't worked out and the walls are closing in and there's a sense that everything seems to be going wrong and there's a treasury and there's a blackness and there's a darkness. Like we've all been there. Like I've been there at times in my life. I especially ended up there in my, my early 20s. And ultimately, why I ended up there was because I didn't want to conform. It's exactly what this essay is about. It's about the fact that I didn't want to conform. And maybe there was a sense that, that I wrote to somebody, I wrote to an agent recently when I was submitting my work, and I was saying that there's a, a great secureness in having achieved everything you set out to achieve in life. 
maybe a securities I take for granted. And that is part of it. That's part of that sense of you went through the furnace and you didn't burn. And you don't have to worship anyone else's view anymore. You can actually stand in your own. But the question I'm left with is, why do we have to go through the furnace for you to get there? Like, I really don't see that it should be compulsory to suffer and that you should end up, as Martin Luther King puts it, in this valley of shadows in order to come out the other side and feel, do you know what, it's okay. I can just be me and they can just be them. And I, there's so many conversations that take place with specialists and with therapists, like this therapist speak that I listen to, that is all about focusing on this trauma and this suffering and this layers. And I'm kind of like, why can't you just focus on what would make you feel good? Like going for a walk and buying a book by your favorite writer and sitting in a nice cafe. Like, why does it have to be so painful? Like, I, I went back to work the day after that and continued my thesis in a much better place. It was the reset that I needed. And no matter what happens in November every year, it's an exceptionally intense month where, ironically, I work with everyone else's suffering. But every year I can reread that book and I can think, oh, my life's so much different. Like, my, my life is just in technical or compared to to those days they'll have so much freedom and so much choice and i'll have like five cafes down the road within 10 minutes that i could pick to go to and it really is that simple i have nice pens to write with and i have nice notebooks to write in and i live in a beautiful place and i have an amazing tribe of people to talk to and i have a library of any flag books to pull off the shelf and reread if I need to. And there are many other writers that I have found in the meantime. And the part that's most striking about Fanny Flag, if I'm really honest, is she's probably the only white writer that I haven't lost admiration for over the years. I was searching out of interest to see if other people felt that she was racist. And I'll finish up on this. What she did for me was, in a fictional way, she introduced the ideas of lack of equality in many different ways, the Jim Crow era, the, the segregation, the passing of black people, the, the consequences of that on their families. She introduced so many concepts to me and she introduced the consequences of those concepts within fictional characters that you become really invested in. And because she did that, for me, it made me go away and look up and start to read that era in much greater detail and to read those implications, the facts behind the fiction. She made me go away and take an interest in that. And no matter how you feel it, it's like saying that you can't write in fiction because the horribleness existed in fact. But if you can write about it in a way in fiction that invokes so much empathy for you to go away and really embrace what was really taking place, for me, that's a win. And so in that way, I don't feel that she's racist. And she opened up many ideas to me and made me explore so much more, purely in a fictional way.
and I still recommend a lot of her books to read, and particularly um, the book um, Daisy May and the Miracle Man, um, or is it Daisy Faye? I think it's Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man. I'll put it in the description too. I, I've given it to a huge amount of people who are now like um, the, the current label is neurodivergent. I've given that book to many people to give them confidence in themselves. So there, there is, there's so much there to explore in her writing. But yes, if you take one message out of this, suffering is optional. And I don't believe that you have to go through the furnace. And that not conforming should mean that you spend every day suffering. And I suppose the golden nugget that I tried to find in that series, I think it was series six where I talked about growth. I want us to find a way that people can grow and embrace all the parts of themselves and not have to go through this. That is the ultimate goal for me.